Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with prophecy in the present days as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 61? We are told in the New Testament that the Old Testament prophets many times wrote of things that they did not really understand. Earnestly desiring really to look into these things, but they wrote as the Spirit of God inspired them. And so we find that quite often the Old Testament prophets did not clearly understand the work of God in creating the body of Christ, the church, from among the Gentiles. Paul the Apostle, in talking about the church and Christ in us, the hope of glory, said that it was a mystery that was hid from the beginning of time but is now revealed. And so it is something that was not revealed until the New Testament writings and the epistles. It was something that was more or less hid from the Old Testament writers. Now, in their prophecies concerning the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ, quite often both aspects of the coming of Christ would be more or less mixed together in a single phrase or in a prophecy. So they would be prophesying of aspects of the first coming of Jesus Christ and also would go right in and prophesy of the aspects of the second coming of Jesus Christ, right in the same sentence or or paragraph. And they did not really clearly see the distinction between, well, they really didn't see the two comings of Christ. And thus, it was a mystery to them, the things that they wrote, because they seemed to be so incongruous. They spoke of the glorious reign of the Messiah and of the kingdom, sitting upon the throne of David and all of the earth flowing unto Jerusalem and all. And then they spoke about him being despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs, and they just really didn't themselves understand these things of which they wrote. For they were written for our sakes. Now with Daniel, when he was seeking further understanding, the Lord said, just seal it up, Daniel. It's for the time of the end. It's not really given to you to understand these things. You just wrote them. That's You've done your job. That's good now. But in the last days, knowledge will be increased. I will give the understanding of these things. These things are written for a generation that is to come. Not written for your understanding, but for the generation that is to come. And they will be understanding these things. So that as we look now at the Bible prophecies with the advantage of uh, our history, And we can look back now and see the coming of Christ. We can see him despised and rejected. And we can now look towards the second coming of Christ. And as we see these things beginning to take place in the world around us, we say, oh, well, that's what Daniel was talking about. 
Oh yes, I can see that now. And it begins to unfold to us in these days. So as we get into the 61st chapter of Isaiah, the prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, he actually just merges both the, the comings of Christ into one prophecy. But Jesus, because he understood the two aspects of his coming, when he in the synagogue of Nazareth turned to the prophecy of Isaiah and read this particular passage, stopped in what is right the middle of verse 2 in our Bibles. And at that point, he closed the scroll and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. He didn't go on because if you go on, you are then dealing with the aspects of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, that wasn't fulfilled that day. That won't be fulfilled until he comes again. So understanding and discerning his ministry in his first coming, he stopped right in what is the middle of the prophecy here in Isaiah for us and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. So what was fulfilled? and what is yet to be fulfilled. This is what was fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. Now, in a restricted sense, this prophecy is of Jesus Christ and his ministry who was anointed by the Spirit and went about preaching the good tidings. To the meek. You remember when John the Baptist was in prison and John did not understand the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. John was expecting him to establish the kingdom momentarily. And when John was sitting there in prison for a while, he started getting impatient. And he sent his disciples to Jesus and he said, are you the one that we're to look for? Or shall we start looking for someone else? In other words, when are you going to get this show on the road? Tired of this prison life. And, and, and he, was, uh, he knew that Jesus was the one because he testified of Jesus that the Lord had told him, whoever he saw the Spirit descending upon and remaining, that that was the one. And John testified of, of the Spirit of God descending upon Christ and, and resting upon him there at his baptism. So he knew he was the one, and yet because Jesus wasn't moving right into the kingdom and setting up the kingdom and throwing out the Romans and all of this, he, he said, are you the one or, or shall we look for another? And Jesus did not directly answer John's inquisition. But instead, in that same hour, he healed many of the sick and those, he opened up the blind eyes and caused the lame to walk and so forth. And then he said to his disciples, just go tell John what you have seen, how that the blind have had their eyes open, the deaf hear, the lame are walking, and to the poor, the gospel is being preached. I'm fulfilling the prophecies, John. You know the word. You know the scriptures. 
And I'm doing the things that the scripture said. You don't need a direct answer. Yes, I am the Messiah. Just go back and tell John the things that you see. John knows the scriptures well enough. He'll know that I am the one. You don't need to look for anybody else. For the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the meek. As Jesus said, he did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. For they that are whole need not the physician, but they that are sick. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I am interested in observing the ministry of Jesus Christ, his attitude towards those who were acknowledged, confessed sinners, and his attitude towards those self-righteous individuals. To the woman that was brought to him, caught in the very act of adultery, he shows great tenderness, understanding, and grace. Woman, where are your accusers? Well, sir, I guess I don't have any. Well, neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way, sin no more. Oh, how tender he deals with her. To the woman of Samaria there at the well. Now, she wasn't the most moral woman around. She had been married to five different men and then finally decided marriage wasn't for her, and so she was just living with a man. Some of those who think they're so modern today, that stuff's been going on for a long time. People have been immoral from the beginning. And yet Jesus, in his dealing with her, was so gracious, revealing to her his identity. For she said, I know that when the Messiah comes, he's going to teach us all things. And he said, woman, I that speak to thee am he. Oh, the attitude of Christ towards the sinner was always beautiful. He had a good news for sinning man and those that confessed and were aware of their sinful state. To those who were righteous in themselves, he had nothing but words of vilification. He was harsh with them. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And boy, did he denounce them. If you think gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child, you better think again and read Matthew's Gospel 22. And, and you'll, you'll see his attitude towards the self-righteous, self-sufficient. But the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now, I believe that this particular portion of the verse refers to the ministry of Christ to those who had died before he came, to open the prison to those that are bound. For we are told by Peter that Christ preached to those souls that were in prison. 
Paul tells us that he who has ascended is the same one who first of all descended into the lower parts of the earth. And when he ascended, he led the captives from their captivity. You see, from the time even before Abraham, there were those men of the Old Testament who were accounted righteous because of their faith in God. Abraham became more or less the figurehead for those who believed and had faith in God. And they were waiting for the promises of God. Hebrews 11 tells us that they all died in faith, not having received the promise, but seeing it afar off. They embraced it. They held on to it. They claimed, I'm only a stranger and a pilgrim here. I'm only passing through. This isn't my life. This isn't where it's at. I'm looking for a city which has foundation, whose maker and builder is God. They were looking for the glorious kingdom of God. And they all died in faith, believing the kingdom and God to establish that kingdom. They all died in faith, not having received the promise, God having reserved something better for us, that they, apart from us, couldn't be brought into the completed state. It was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could put away their sin. That took the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. So the blood sacrifices that they had made according to the old covenant covered their sin but did not put it away. And they had to wait for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ before they could enter into that heavenly scene. So we are told by Peter that when Jesus died, he descended into hell. He tells us the purpose of his going there, to preach to those souls that were in prison, that one time were disobedient, but they believed and trusted in God. And Paul tells us when he ascended, he led the captives from their captivity. And Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, tells us that when he arose from the dead, many of the graves of the saints were open, and they were seen walking in the streets of Jerusalem after his resurrection from the dead. They were released from the prison. So a part of the first coming was to release from the prison those that were bound by death. For Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet he's going to live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. We will have a transition that is necessary. This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And I know that when this earthly tabernacle is dissolved, I have a new building of God, a house that is not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. And while I'm still in this dumb old tent, I groan earnestly desiring to move out. You know, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning anymore. Dumb left foot of mine, starting to pain first thing in the morning. I got to walk for a few steps to get the thing operating. I, I never thought I'd reach this age. <laughs> Hard to walk in the morning. What a tent. Wearing out. But oh, thank God. I have a building of God that's not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. And one of these days, I'm not going to die. I'm going to move. 
from the tent into that glorious building of God, the mansion that he's prepared for me. So to finish the aspects of his first coming, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, this is the accepted day. God's accepted time for your salvation. At this point, Jesus closed the scroll because these things dealt with the first aspect of his coming. Now, Isaiah, not really seeing the two comings, goes right on. And he declares, in the day of the vengeance of our God. Well, that's not going to take place until yet future. God's vengeance and wrath is going to be poured out upon this earth. As the seals are open, the judgments of God are, are going to begin to fall and the earth will enter into that period known as the Great Tribulation. And we read where the men, the chief men of the earth and the captains and so forth will call to the rocks and the mountains and say, fall on us and hide us from the face of the Lamb for his day of wrath has come, the day of the vengeance of our God. Well, that won't take place until a yet future time during the Great Tribulation. And I think that it is totally inconsistent with God and the nature of God and the work of Jesus Christ to think that the church would be here during the time that God pours out his wrath upon the earth. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 5, 9 that we have not been appointed unto wrath. He tells us again in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 that we're not been appointed unto wrath. And I think it's totally inconsistent with the nature of God to think that Christ having borne the wrath of God for our sin, that we would somehow have to face the wrath of God during the Great Tribulation. Now, as a child of God, as long as I'm in this alien world, I'm going to have tribulation. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Now, if you were of the world, the world would love you because you'd be a part of their whole system. Because you're not of the world, they hate you. And if they haven't received me, they're not going to receive you. If they've hated me, they're going to hate you. The servant isn't greater than his Lord. And so, as a child of God, walking in fellowship with God in this alien world, I can expect to have tribulation. It's not going to be easy. However, I shall surely not face the wrath of God, the great tribulation. And the whole vast difference is the tribulation that I face comes from Satan. The tribulation that the world is going to face comes from the vengeance of God who has declared, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God and to comfort all that mourn, Moving into the kingdom age to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. For they shall build up the old waste, the rebuilding that will go on in that land, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities 
and the desolations of many generations. And of course, we see a, a beginning of that today, but what we see today is not really the fulfillment of this particular passage in Isaiah, because Isaiah here is going on into the kingdom age. That which, so much of that which is being built up now is going to be destroyed. Unfortunately, Israel is going to be the central battlefield of two more major battles, probably the biggest and bloodiest battles in the history of the world are yet to be fought in that land. And so much of that uh, marvelous building that is going on there today will be destroyed in, in the wars that are yet to come upon this nation. But this particular prophecy goes out into the kingdom age as they rebuild the waste and the waste cities and the desolations of many generations. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 61 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you in His love and grace. May the Lord watch over you, and may you be filled with His Spirit and walk in the strength and in the power of the Spirit of God as He anoints you day by day. May you be enabled by Him, and may you enter into that fullness that He has for you, walking with the Lord, loving the Lord, listening to the Lord. May your mind and heart be clear, sensitive to God to the things of the Spirit. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to like affect my mom's walk. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking, and are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithe and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? 
The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.